Hello, and welcome to The Happy Writer. This is a podcast that aims to bring readers more books to enjoy and to help authors find more joy in their writing. I am your host, Marissa Meyer. Thank you for joining me. This is going to be our last episode of 2023. We have not yet started booking our guests for the new year, um, but uh, any of you know, I have a new novel coming out in February. So to be determined, we might just stay on hiatus until after the book comes out, uh, as I am not entirely sure what my promotion and touring schedule is going to be looking like yet over the next couple of months. Um, so we will be back eventually, um, but I'm not quite sure when yet. If, however, you are curious or interested in my new novel, it is now available for pre-order. It is titled With a Little Luck, and you can find out more about it on my website or on Instagram. So I really hope you will check it out. One thing making me happy this week, garland door hangers. Uh, I just discovered this incredibly cool contraption this year, thanks to a 50% off sale at Michael's Craft Store. They're like these tension rods that you put in your doorway and then hang your holiday garlands off of, and they are so much easier than nails and hooks and uh, all of the things that I have tried over the years, wire and, oh my gosh, I, I hate hanging garlands, but I love how they look when they're put up. And this is just, it makes life so much easier and then gives you that instant hallmark Layer. I know I sound like a commercial right now, but as you guys know, this time of year, pretty much all I want is to feel like I'm living in a Hallmark movie, and this helped that dream come true a little bit. So I am probably going to buy one for every door in my house. Don't tell my husband. And let's hope that the sale is still going on. I am also so happy to be talking to today's guest. She's a television producer from New York, whose debut novel, Caught in a Bad Fomance, just came out last week. Please welcome Elle Gonzalez-Rose. Hello! Hello, welcome! Happy holidays! How are Thank you? you? I'm doing amazing, even better now that I know about this tension rod. Oh my I've gosh! Been, I've been thinking, cool how do you hang these up? So that was, that's amazing, because every time I look at it at my door, I'm like, how the heck do you get a garland on this? I know, I know. I feel like I've tried, like I've Googled, and you, what's that website that gives all of the step-by-step? And I'm like, that just looks so difficult. Yeah, yeah. But my husband, like, hates, well, I shouldn't say he hates it. He, it is not his favorite thing to do the Christmas decorations, and so I end <laughs> up, like, tackling a lot of it on my own, and I feel bad having to pester him for some of these <laughs> Uh, so this was like a dream come true. I'm absolutely going to write that down because like living in New York where it feels like you can, <laughs> there's never enough space to decorate for a holiday. I was like, we should do a reef on the door. That doesn't take up any real estate. And I'm like, I don't know how to hang up a reef on the door. So this just changed everything for me. So now my holidays are going to be that much better. You are welcome. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm so excited to talk to you today. Before we get into talking about the book, the first thing I want to know is your origin story. I know your bio mentions being a television producer. How has that translated into now becoming a writer? Yeah, it's kind of 
odd because I have been a writer my entire life. So it's always hard when I get asked a question of like, when did you want to start writing? And I'm like, when I was a child, it's, mm-hmm. it was so long ago. I don't really remember what had happened. But the television producer thing came first, actually, because that was um, when I was in college, I majored in creative writing after a long and arduous journey through STEM and a million other majors before I mm. decided to settle on creative writing. But I mainly worked in television. I was working in production. Um, I went to school in New York. So it was, you know, a really good opportunity to work on set of different shows and be like the runner and whatnot. And then I did not work in that for two years. And then I came back to it through like happenstance. I happened to apply to a job at uh, MTV. Now it's more broadly known as Paramount. So I'm more broadly a Paramount writer. But it was to basically produce and write uh, the trailers that you see on air for, you know, the different uh, MTV Paramount properties. And I was like, what an amazing job, because I do genuinely really enjoy MTV's programming. And I had been an intern there before. So it was just luck. That was kind of the first step in my journey to becoming a professional writer. So I did that for, I think I was doing it for a couple months before I started writing this book. So now it's like I'm pulling double duty. It's like writer by day, also writer by night. So kind of hard to find like, so I said, I'm like, I got like certain hobbies that I'm like, can't monetize this. This is just a hobby. I've already monetized one hobby. I love that. The idea of writing trailers sounds yeah. really cool. That's not the sort of thing that you think of, like, as far as careers that involve writing go. That sounds so uh, I genuinely didn't know it was a job until I got it. <laughs> so I was like, wow. Yeah. It's, it's- I mean, unless you watch The Holiday. I, think I was going to say, movie. like, isn't that what Cameron Diaz does? Yes. And I, I don't think I'd seen The Holiday yet at that point. But then when I watched it, like, I think I'd already been in my job for like at least a year. And I was like, representation for the trailer writers of the world. I love it. Do you feel like, um, because I have to imagine that writing a trailer has to follow a certain not formula, but I mean, it probably has uh, <laughs> patterns similar to like a a novel has certain steps and plot beats and whatnot. Do you feel like that has translated into novel writing? I think so. I think you, like what you said is very interesting because it is really a formula, but in such a different way where I think with trailer writing, what you've learned is because with trailer writing, you go through all these levels of clearances, like everyone has to approve something, every every single person all the way up the chain. And that can take weeks. And you go through so, so many revisions that like by the end, it's almost as if like you're lucky if maybe one or two lines that you originally wrote in the first draft of like your copy makes it to the end. Like it's still your work at the end, but it just evolves so much, which I think is kind of funny because I've done a lot of revisions um, on like all of my work, but especially with my first book, I did an R&R and I think my editor said something like, we love how you're willing to edit or like you're really willing to change things up. And I was like, listen, you have not come to me the day something is due and told me to start from scratch. I can do just about anything when it comes to when it comes to revising. This is a walk in the park. But it is true how you do kind of get used to, oh, they really like it when we play with this kind of language or when we do this kind of thing. So it's almost like tropes for trailers. They they love the new trope. They love when things are new and bigger, the er words, like bigger and star studier and more exciting and things like that. So it does feel formulaic in a way, but you do have your own ways of keeping your spin. And I think that the one thing that really does kind of translate is 
having to write in a certain voice, depending on what kind of project you're working on. Like if you're working on a moody teen drama, then you're going to want to have like more of a moody teen drama vibe with your music and the copy that you're going to use. Whereas if you're writing for something like uh, RuPaul's Drag Race, that's very, very different uh, copy and language that you're going to have. So it's needing to keep on your toes and like switching your voice and switching kind of the genre you're in, which is something that I do a lot in writing. So I do think that a lot of those skills are transferable. It's no, I, I never thought about it until this moment. Oh, that's so funny. No, it really seems like it would be. And in particular, I have to imagine that there is some parallels between writing a trailer for a TV show and like writing your your pitch or synopsis or query letter for a novel. Like, did that feel kind of like a similar process? Oh, yeah, for sure. I feel like that's where I got kind of lucky is that I have had to write, like, for example, taglines, like what goes on a poster? What's the pitchy? What's the like punchiest mm-hmm. way to sell a concept in just a couple words? Because, you know, you can't you're not you don't have that much real estate to put words on a poster. And even then things like that of like we'll do write ups for like campaigns, which is like overall like, oh, the trailer we're trying to sell. Here's how we're going to make it sound interesting. So I feel like I'm very, I feel bad because whenever I'm editing a synopsis, I feel like I give a lot of notes on like the the blurb, the back cover blurb and whatnot, even though a lot of the time it is taken from my own blurb, but I'm very finicky about the details of mm-hmm. blurbs and the exact wording. So I feel like I'm, I'm persnickety. I don't know if that's the right word, but I'm very particular <laughs> with, yeah. with marketing copy because that's my job. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. I feel like I'm fairly persnickety with it also. And sometimes I wonder, like, and my my editor's always such a great sport. Thank you, Marissa. Mm-hmm. This sounds great. We appreciate it, blah, blah, blah. But part of me is always wondering, it's like, part of her like, okay, Marissa, let us do yes. now. <laughs> I have the exact same thought where I like, when I tweak something, look, it's just a single word. It's just like, or can we actually just make that italic? It's just like, okay, <laughs> Elle, like, okay. <laughs> oh, I get it so, so much. Okay, so here we are. Your debut novel just came out. Will you tell listeners a little bit about Caught in a Bad Fomance? Starting with, did you come up with this title? I did not. I'm (laughs) sorry. I know that's so disappointing. That is such a good title. Okay. Thank you. All credit goes to my editor, Bria Reagan. She came up with it. Fomance wasn't the original title. That was my only thing. I came up with the pun of Fomance. And we had to (laughs) change the original title for reasons. Um, And when we changed the title, she came up with that because it was just like kind of a great opportunity for a pun. So it's funny because I it took a long time for me to think of it with this title. But it is very like it still has the pun, which is all I wanted. Yeah. Well, I had Lady Gaga in my head the entire time I was reading it. So amazing. I mean, I can't complain about that. I'm if it brings Lady Gaga to mind who I am a huge fan of. I was like, this is great. And I was like, yes, I have no issue with that. I love that. All right. Tell us about the book. Yes. So uh, Caught in a Bad Bomance is a queer YA rom-com about a aspiring artist named Devin who has a lackluster first year of college. Uh, he's studying to be an artist at CalArts in California. He returns to his hometown in Florida and his family decides to go on a last vacation to this winter cabin that they have at a lake where they usually spend like their winter breaks and their summers and whatnot. And they're going to put this cabin up on the market because ever since their mom passed, they're struggling to pay the bills and they just kind of don't feel like they have the money to hold on to this very sentimental cabin. And while they're there, they run into their old time rivals, the So Cooks, and they are just as annoying as ever, especially their middle son, Julian, who comes to Devin with a wild proposition saying, I need you to be my fake boyfriend. And Devin would say no if he were not 
now embroiled in a bet amongst the families in which there's this local competition. And the Sokuks uh, bet the Baez's that they'll win. And if they win, they get the Baez family cabin and they can't let that happen. So Devin agrees to be Julian's fake boyfriend so that he can spy on him and hopefully take down the family for good. So a little bit of a convoluted plot. I always struggle to summarize it quickly, but there it is. That's like the first 50 that pages. Was good. That, that was sound. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I, ho- I would hope so by now. <laughs> I love a fake romance. It's definitely one of my favorite tropes. Um, there's, and that's, of course, it's, you see it so often in, in books and media. And every time I'm like, how come no one ever asked me to be their fake girlfriend? <laughs> Why isn't this happening to me? No, there's really, there's a lot to love about this book. It's like this kind of Romeo and Juliet-ish uh, vibe that the feuding families, but like, is so ridiculous. There's this like ridiculous family competition and all of these silly pranks. And then of course the fake dating and it is just really quirky and hilarious. I laughed so many times. Oh gosh. Thank you. (laughs) So let's start with humor. Um, Do you like Devin himself has such a great voice um, and very kind of dry uh, and yeah, just very humorous. And a lot of the the comedy comes through because of him and his character and the way he's thinking about things and his perspective. Was that a lot of your humor coming into the character or how did you go about tackling the humor? Yeah, I think that something. Oh, first of all, thank you for calling it uh, funny. Thank you. I have a weird thing that I always say. I don't describe the book as funny because I feel like funny is not an adjective I can give myself. It has to be bestowed by another person. So I'm always honored when someone says it's funny. Thank you. Thank you. I've been validated. (laughs) But um, I think that it's something that really developed in the second major draft that I did, which was like a huge overhaul because originally it was in third person. And I think that there was still comedy there, but it was a little leaning a little more zany in terms of the physical actions that were happening because you were less in Devin's head. And it wasn't until I started writing it in first person, which was the first time I'd written in first person in a really, really long time that I really kind of tapped into this other side of comedy, which can be, like you said, more of the observations of the world and getting inside of a character. And so I think because it was my first time writing this way in such a long time, a lot of myself did bleed into it. But there are definitely, I think he's a little pettier than I am. He's a little bit pettier and at times a little bit meaner (laughs) than I am. But I think that some of his like dry, self-deprecating humor does kind of come from me. And I do always say, I was worried people would read this book and be like, this is just you again. Like you just kind of wrote yourself telling a story. And I was like, no, he likes mint chocolate ice cream and I hate mint chocolate ice cream. We're clearly very Wait. different. <laughs> totally different person. <laughs> We're completely different. I don't know where you got that from, but I do, I do think like he is definitely more self-aware than I was at that age. Mm. Um, but I think he has a little bit of my more mature sense of humor, but brought back a little bit because he is still, you know, a teenager. Yeah. No. And it's fun because he's a teenager, but he's like, as you mentioned, he's in his first year of college. Um, And so like, it's different from a lot of YA where you're, you've aged up just mm-hmm. by a year or two years. Um, And even that, that minor difference, um, particularly in contemporary, he is thinking about 
different things than a, a junior or senior in high mm-hmm. school is thinking about. And it was it was kind of fun. It's um weirdly, I don't know why publishing doesn't tackle more voices from this this time period, but they seem to avoid it for some reason. Um, but I loved it. I loved getting to to see someone from this age group. Thank you. Yeah. And actually, he wasn't even originally going to be in his first year of college, like in the draft that was acquired by my publisher. He was a senior in college and it was all about applying to college. And I I can't remember why we ended up changing it. I think it had to do with like the timing of the story needed to shift. So we were like, oh, it's a little easier if he's in college. And I was so excited about that because like you said, that doesn't seem to be a story that's really told that often in contemporary YA for whatever reason. But I was very passionate about it because it took all of the themes that I already had in that draft and like really kind of brought them into fruition. This whole idea of being afraid of pursuing the arts that he deals with and like feeling like you're failing at this one thing that you're very passionate about and being able to put that in the context of like, oh, I'm actually living it right now, which is something that I personally went through quite a bit, was amazing. And I'm so grateful that we got to make that change in the end because that was you know, not originally what it was going to be because I thought publishing wouldn't want that. But yeah. surprise, they did. No, and that's interesting. And so your editor really um, uh, sound like they were on board for that, that there was no pushback there. Yeah, not at all. It was like, I think it was kind of like a collaborative, like, you can kind of make it, you know, tweak it a little bit with he'll still be in high school. But I think it was even her, she was the one to suggest at first was like, you can make him a college freshman if you want to. And I was like, really? You can't? I was like, I can. I (laughs) I thought that was off limits. (laughs) And I think it it added so much to the story. So I'm, I'm in love with that change. And I'm so glad I got to make it. No, I agree. I think it's, um, yeah, like you say, you bring a lot of these themes into the story as far as like Devin trying to figure things out, but he's really afraid that he's going to make a wrong decision and it's going to, you know, cost his family. And I mean, the the emotions there were very authentic. And again, a perspective that, um, you know, we don't get to see very often in fiction, even though that is such a turbulent emotional <laughs> period of time for so many of us. There's so much pressure and newness and really a lot of fodder that that we could dig through. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. I'm genuinely so grateful over the moon that I got to do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Let's talk about romance. Yes. A, it's a, it is a romance and it is, of course, a hate to love romance because these families have hated each other for so many years. For you, favorite things about writing this romance? What were some of the challenges of writing it? Oh, I think my favorite thing is that combination of hate to love with fake dating, where it's like you are forcing these people who do not like each other to spend a lot of time together. I just love that. I knew kind of from early on in the story that I wanted to combine both of these things because I thought it was just such a fun experiment to combine these ideas. Like, you know, it's one thing if like you're fake dating and you're strangers, which I also eat up. Fake dating is one of my favorite tropes. But it's like the tension and the possible banter between two people who are just petty and annoyed and like have to do this, I think is just so much fun and like makes the stakes a little higher because it's also like, oh, I really shouldn't be falling for you because not only are you my fake boyfriend, I also don't really like you very much. Mm -hmm. So I was just having so much fun with that. And I think that another really fun thing that I enjoyed about this romance is that uh, Julian, the love interest, is uh, biracial. He is mixed uh, Cuban, white, and Korean. And something that I wanted to explore in this book, because Devin is Puerto Rican, is kind of this like bonding over 
cultural food, which is something that I have done a lot over the years. It was kind of inspired by my own experiences with friends where you kind of come together by sharing different foods that are specific to your culture. Like Julian uh, shares choco pies, which are a Korean snack cake. And Devin talks a lot about this tre leche cake, which is a cake that my family eats during the holidays. And it's amazing. Um, and I thought that was such a fun thing to be able to write about. And I'm so glad that that was like something that I got to explore a little more, like the ways that you can bond through food and through like your own respective cultures and respect for each other's cultures and the way that they both like, you know, Devin loves choco pies and I won't spoil anything, but there's a scene with the leche cake. And that was just so fun to be able to write and felt so tender to me. And especially like the process of like, I think it's kind of a slow burn. I I don't know if anyone would, describe, would consider it a slow burn, but takes a while for things to get there because I really don't like each other for a long time. So I just love being able to like slowly see these two people warm up to one another. I just love dragging it out for as long as possible. But I did make the, I did cut some of it. So they get together a little faster than they did in the original draft. But I think that something I struggle with when I write any romance in general, and I try to keep, try to be as aware of this as possible is that a romance is two sides. And I always want to keep in mind you know, when you have the love interest, they're swoony as heck. They're always super swoony because like you're usually reading from a first person perspective and you're like, yeah, I'm falling for that person. They're doing all these wonderful things. But I always want to keep in mind, well, why is the main character the perfect person for that love interest? Like, why are they falling for you? What is it that they like about the main character? So that's something that I think is challenging is like you're so in the main character's head that it's often hard to show how do how are they kind of being there for the love interest as well, instead of just a love interest being there for them and performing actions for them. I hope that's something I did well in the book, but I know that's something I think about all the time in romance is like, what's the other side of this? What's the story? Like, if I had to write this book again from that person's perspective, what are what are we going to see of this main character, basically? No, that's such a great point. Um, when it can be difficult to lose sight of that, particular when you're, particularly when you're writing in first person, like you mentioned, because it is so one-sided as far as the story goes. Um, so yeah, no, I know for me, when I write romance, I also will spend a fair amount of time thinking, okay, but but why is that person falling in love? Like, what are the moments for them that they'll look back and think, um, oh, this was the first time that I really felt attracted to them, or this was the first time that they made me laugh, or, or what were those moments that are special uh, from the other perspective? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and then also, like, the mention of a slow burn. Of course, I am all in for a slow burn. Yes. But I particularly adored um, being in Devin's head is because he is so attracted to Julian. <laughs> He's a simp. It's so hard to fight it. It's so fun to watch. Thank you. He's a silly goose. <laughs> All right. And then, so we've got, of course, this, this great romance uh, as the center of the story, but I have to admit, I think my personal favorite relationship is the sibling relationship between and Maya. Um, They are, they are twins, right? I was going to say that. And then I had this moment of like, wait, (laughs) had a different book. (laughs) They are twins. Okay. (laughs) Thank you. They are twins, um, and so they, of course, grew up as being incredibly close, but now Devin has gone off to college and has been gone for a year, um, or at least six months or whatever, 
And Maya is not thrilled about that and is really good at holding grudges. I loved how you <laughs> developed that in her character. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and so it's like they have, between the two of them, their own little special story arc. And I thought it was so tender and so sweet. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I, it's funny because I always, I, I talk about the sibling dynamic because it's one of my favorite things too. But it's funny because... I actually did not grow up with any siblings, so I don't really know what I'm talking about. Okay. But yeah, but I do have a like I have a very classic uh, Latino family in that we're quite large. But I said I grew up with a lot of cousins that were essentially like siblings. Like I saw them every single day and whatnot. We went to school together. So it's a little inspired by that in its own way. But it's like I don't have a twin. I don't have a sibling that I grew up with. So that was all just kind of exploring a dynamic that I felt amongst different people being combined into a sibling relationship where it's just more intense. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, and of course, we're writers. We have to use our imagination for all sorts of things. Exactly. <laughs> I've never been to a lake in Florida, but I made it work. <laughs> That's right. um, so with Maya and her character, um, but then like particularly the, the, the arc, the story uh, and how her relationship with Devin changes and grows. Was that something um, that was in early drafts or was it something that kind of got built in later? How did that come about? I think it was always there in the earlier drafts, but in a very different way since Devin wasn't always going to be going away. It wasn't mm -hmm. always away at college. Right. So it, it definitely changed. But I think that, you know, a big part of the story is that these families do not like each other. So there was always going to be tension with them because Maya really doesn't like this family and she's not falling in love with one of them. So she does not see things from his perspective. And it was always a very family oriented story because it's about two families. So the family was always a very core kind of structure in it and Devin's relationship with his family. So there were different kinds of tensions with Maya throughout all of the drafts because she was always kind of seen as a minor antagonist to the relationship other than the pressures of like, oh, we do not have like our families don't like each other. She's kind of the representative of like, I really do not like this family. I feel very passionately about this. But as it evolved, it became more about like the different experiences of what happens when you go to college? Like some people, for example, Maya chooses to stay at home because she feels like it's more economical. And also she feels kind of weird about leaving and leaving the state when her family has never done that. That's something I dealt with a lot was like the idea of going away to college when no one else in your family seems to have really done that yet. So you're like, oh, I'm going to be the first one to go. It feels odd. Maybe I should stay. Mm -hmm. But there's that layer and there's also the layer of like feeling like Devin, who is now off doing his own thing in California, which is very, very far away, much further than I went. It now feels like he's, you know, off the radar and he's not texting them back anymore. And there are reasons that he's not doing that. But that kind of almost a friendship breakup in a way like that post-college, like, oh, we're not keeping in contact the way that we used to and where we're not as close. And I feel weird about that. Just I think a very universal experience, but made so much more intense when you are twins that you have yeah. been very close all the time. So that kind of came out more when we introduced the college element. And again, that's why I'm so excited about that change. It just made everything more stressful and more heightened. So it was great. <laughs> it worked out really, really well. It's hard to imagine the book without that. Because yes, I do. I love that we get to when Maya 
does show her more vulnerable side, which is not always, um, mm-hmm. but that we get to kind of see the, the sense of abandonment and how much she just really loves her brother and misses him. And like, but those feelings are are coming out in a much more aggressive way, um, which of course then adds back to the humor and all of it. Right. She's an aggressive gal. I used to say that I I was like, oh, Maya's the character that I'm actually like, but not not at all. She's the character that I wish I was like. I'm nothing Ooh. like her. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I have one of those in every book. The character yes. that I wish I was more like. I wish I was her. She is cool and fashionable and I am not. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> All right, let's talk about the town. Um, you mentioned you've never been to a lakeside town in Florida. Yes, How on earth does one go about creating a contemporary town in a, a in your I don't know in your book in world yeah. building? It's different <laughs> contemporary, contemporary world versus, building. Yes. Yeah. It is uh so I grew up in a city. Um, I very much do not go visit lakes very often. I do not have a family cabin. I grew up like right outside of uh, New York in uh, Jersey City. So I've lived in a city my entire life. Um, I don't even know how to drive. So which the oh characters... my gosh, really? Yeah, I don't know how to drive. I also don't know how to ride a bike. Yeah, don't know how to ride a bike, which also happens in the book. That was a real thing that happened to me. <laughs> but I was that I actually went on a trip with my family to a different lake. Uh, I don't even know if it was actually a lake, but we went up to this place in the Poconos. And I saw it and I already had kind of the idea for this story with this lake setting because I watched the movie Cheaper by the Dozen 2, which is set at a lake and has feuding families. But it wasn't until I went to the Poconos and I went to this like lodge where they talked about how they have families come year after year. They had cabins along the lake and they say, oh, yeah, those are different families. It's kind of like a timeshare. They'll come for summers or winters or whatever. They had all these pictures on the walls of the different families competing in all of these like competitions that the lodge hosted and they had all these activities like archery and spec riding and whatnot. And that was when I finally understood like, oh, that was not just a movie that this is a real thing that people do. What a wild idea. And I thought about how my family in particular, if this was a thing that we had grown up doing would have been uh, not, we would not have had many fans because we take things way too seriously and we're very competitive. So it's like, oh, I think this is a great idea. And that was kind of where I got that from was I had based it off of this lake that I had been to. I looked at a lot of photos of different lakeside communities to kind of get a sense of it. But then that was more for the aesthetics of understanding what does a place like this look like and whatnot. But then from there, what was so fun is that because it's a fictional town, you can kind of build it out however you want and have all the eccentric people that you want and whatnot. And that is something that I I definitely like struggle with world building in all senses. I know I'm just like, plopping things here. And I'm like, I'm not going to explain how any of this works. So that's something that took a long time to master is like building the town and realize like, oh, yeah, this is you need to world build this town because this is not a real town that exists. And nobody's going to assume anything about it. So that was something that came into play, I think, in like the later drafts is really building up the town and all of the different traditions. What kind of people live here? What kind of stores do they have? And that's where this idea of the town being very kind of run down and not doing so hot came from was from those rounds of development. No, that's interesting because you do end up having um, this concept of of history, that the town mm-hmm. has been there for a while, that it used to be a really popular tourist destination, but things haven't been going so well. So there's been kind of a mass exodus and <laughs> a lot of businesses have shut down. Um, and so it's this this cool portrayal where you get to see what people loved about this town and why so many families keep coming back. But also it's 
you know, just a little bit more beat up these days. And it, as opposed to being like so many vacation books are in just the, the quaint, idyllic, you know, beachside town, which is also lovely. Um, mm-hmm. But this was a, a fun, a fun take on it. Yeah. If people are all there are looking, they're like, you know, I want to like lakeside romance, but I want the town to be like musty and dusty. This is the book for you. <laughs> this this town one. is dusty. <laughs> And it would not have occurred to me that the games, the competition is based on a real thing. I also had no idea that this was a yeah. thing that people do. <laughs> yeah, it was not in the original draft. And then I thought about it because I realized like, oh, yeah, that's a thing that they do at these lodges. Like, I think they're more like they're not like as long as the games in the book are. They're like more like spread out little like game nights here and there. But I'm like, no, competition. I'm yeah. going to make it work. I love it. And it's a great climax because you're the whole book, you're building up to this big competition and the family is going neck to neck at the end of it. Um, So of course, from a plot structure perspective, it's a very natural place for that. Yes. It was just like, oh yes, I can put a competition in here. (laughs) This is perfect. (laughs) Was it difficult? Because like from an outside perspective, from a reader's perspective, we see these games and can't help but feeling like this is kind of silly. This is really <laughs> trivial. Who cares if you win or not? Blah, blah, blah. And yet to the characters, it is a big deal and there are mm-hmm. high stakes involved. Was that a tricky kind of thing to balance? I think so, because it's like, how do you make an egg toss sound like the Olympics? <laughs> It's one is one thing. And it's like, I think that adds to like kind of the humor is like how seriously they're taking it. Like, I think there's a line very early on in the book where it's like, well, what do you win if you win these games? And they're like a plastic gold medal, but they're talking about it like it is a like solid gold trophy. <laughs> it's important to me. And I think it's fun. Like, it's interesting because it is like action scenes and you're writing them in this very kind of tense and emotional way. But really, it is just some people running in the forest for a plastic gold medal. <laughs> and I think that adding these people, there are like other contestants who are just kind of not caring, I think helped a lot with like reminding everyone that this is not that serious because they just don't take the competition very seriously. They just sit out certain things if they don't feel like it. But I think <laughs> what? that- That's an <laughs> Yeah, it's like, oh, okay, I'm just going to sit this <laughs> But I, I, yeah, I think the toughest part is capturing that intensity in a moment that is really not all that intense, but also very, very physical and keeping it interesting and not feeling like you're just reading them. Like I now paddle two inches and now I am here on the river and now I paddle on the left side. And I'm also not a very physical person. So mm-hmm. I have trouble like describing how that is all happening. But mm-hmm. I think that's is keeping the tension up and making it feel exciting and making it feel rewarding because the whole book is building to this moment. So it's also like, not only does this feel rewarding, but how much time do you give this moment? It should feel like it's not just like a blinking, you'll miss it moment. The whole book is about this competition. It yeah. should feel like you're here for a, like a good chunk of time, but it shouldn't take up a whole like third of the book. So that I think that was the trickiest thing is figuring out how much of the competition to show. No, that makes sense. And it's funny that you know, we're obviously talking very specifically about this book and this competition, but I feel like that can be applied to the climax of any book. Mm-hmm. There's always that moment of like, you really, you want to to draw it out enough that it feels very satisfying to the readers. But if you drag it out too much, then at some point readers are like, okay, another, another battle sequence or another <laughs> race or another, like, 
time to to move on and have some resolution here. And that is, I mean, I feel like for me, that's one of my ongoing struggles as a writer is figuring out the climax and and how how much or how little. Oh, yeah. I'm so wordy. Like the original draft of this was like over 90,000 words. So I never know when to stop. I would put it for days. Like I would spend thousands of pages on one specific instance, usually the climax. So mm-hmm. I think that's where I definitely need like an editor to come in and reel me in and be like, OK, you you got your point across. You don't need, you don't need three chapters of all this. Right. Uh, I am also very wordy. I think it's funny that you said it was originally 90,000 words as like being too long because it's been a long time since I wrote a book that was that short. Well, I can, I, I'll just say the book did not warrant being, th- it It felt like 90,000 words. I felt like a lot of words. No, it is. And obviously a lot of books um, come in at, you know, 70, 80, 85. But yeah, it's, uh, it, it takes what the book takes. I think that's, yes. that's the important come away there. I also want to spend a moment talking about family traditions, uh, because this book is very much built around family traditions with the cabin and the 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 competition, but also it takes place during the holidays. Um, and it feels extra important because this is the first time this family has been there since Maya and Devin's mom passed away. And this used to be the place that they came. And so now they've they have a new stepmom, a new stepbrother, and they're trying to build new traditions. So that very much becomes a big theme of the book. Um, for you, like how important was that working into the the fabric of the story? I think it was it was interesting how even that theme, a lot of the different themes in the book evolved over time because I had been working on it for so long. But that theme in particular, because uh, it was not originally going to be set during the holidays, is something that a lot of things came up later on as I wrote the book. But when <laughs> I was changing, <laughs> there's so many things that are, you know, it was originally set in Alaska. It wasn't even set in Alaska. It was uh, by the time that we had changed it, that it was going to be set at the holidays. One, I was excited because the holidays are like a one, like one of the few holiday, like I guess Christmas rather is one of the holidays where my family actually does have traditions that I really enjoy. Like we only usually have them for either Christmas or Thanksgiving and they're kind of the same thing, but it was exciting. But also for me at that point in my life, my dad had actually sadly passed away like shortly after I started working on the, like the revision that eventually was acquired. So by the time I was incorporating this idea of the holidays intermixed with grief I too was going through the holidays intermixed with grief and it was very cathartic to kind of write what my own experience was in a way that felt very palpable for children because like for teens rather because you know I'm a little older I feel like I had a a more solid grasp on my emotions at the time I mean I'm still a person I was grieving I was a little all over the place but it was very nice to take those thoughts and kind of distill them in a way that felt very cathartic, but also helpful to show teens and young adults that, yes, this is it is OK to feel this way and it is OK to feel upset about these things. Like, I think a big thing is accepting that getting rid of certain things or like moving on is not a betrayal of the person that you lost, which is something that I struggled a lot with, is this idea of holding on to things, even though you know that you shouldn't. It's a huge theme in the book mm-hmm. as they try to hold on to this yeah. cabin. So it was something that for me was very cathartic and I hope will read as cathartic to anybody who has had to go through that. But also just talking about the importance of embracing new traditions, especially because sometimes it makes you feel so much better to not be living in your grief and it allows you to open up to new experiences and change things around and make you feel a little bit less 
heavy during the holidays, especially. But again, like really reiterating that it is not a betrayal to this person. It is not a bad thing to move on. It is it is okay to experience new things and explore new options, which is something that I do in my second book as well. So yeah, that was something that was important to me because it was coming from a personal place. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can tell just uh, the way that you talk about it. Uh, Since we are again, of course, here in the holiday season, what is your favorite tradition this time of year? Ooh. Uh, So I think it's more, it's, it's always rooted in food. My family loves food. Uh, so <laughs> I'm right there. <laughs> just, oh, there's the food that we get to eat. Like the specifically, like the, it's not even a dish, but now that I'm an adult, I get to have coquito, which is like our version of eggnog. And oh, it's so good. Oh, and we only drink it around. Like you can't have it at Thanksgiving. You got to have it at Christmas. But Something that's, you know, like important to us uh, is that I know some families do this that are not uh, Latino, but we always celebrate on Christmas Eve and my family hosts Christmas. Like we split it up so certain people get certain holidays. Christmas is our day, which is always exciting for me. So it's all about like my abuela always comes over because she's the only person that we trust to make this very specific dish called arroz con gandule. That's a Puerto Rican dish. And she always comes over early to make it at my house. And then, you know, we're playing salsa music and we're dancing and getting ready. And we're very stressed because my mom like <laughs> overcommitted to stuff and we're running around. So those are like the chaos of it. And I have a huge family. So our house is always packed on Christmas Eve. And then we do nothing on Christmas. Christmas is just a day. So those are, that kind of is my favorite tradition. That and the coquito, but. <laughs> I love it. I Is it difficult to make? I don't want to try it now. I'm so curious. It is not. I made it for myself for the first time last year. I mean, it wasn't as good as some of the ones I've had, mm. but I, I, it's actually not as bad as I thought. You just need to buy a bunch of stuff that's in cans. The trouble is making sure you buy like, it's like, you. it's called like, what is it called? Crema de coco. And it's like, don't buy coconut cream. That's a different thing. You need crema de coco, which is not coconut cream. And I learned that the hard way. That's a good tip. <laughs> yes. So follow when they say like, this is the name of the thing you put in it. Follow it. Exactly. It is not. <laughs> if you see something slightly different, it is not the same thing. Oh, that's good to know. Now I making um eggnog, homemade eggnog a few years back, and it was a disaster. So I'm like, never again from here on out, oh. store bought, but oh god. Yeah, I might I don't I see why people are afraid because they probably made the mistake that I did and they're like, I can't make this again. <laughs> All right. Are you ready for a bonus round? I am. What book makes you happy? Ooh, 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 that's so hard. Okay, so the book is not, it's not 100% sad, but it is a little bit more somber. I love um, The Lesbiana's Guide to Catholic School by Sonora Reyes because it just reminded me so much of my childhood as a a person who went to an all-girls high school and was like trying to figure themselves out. It's so funny. It's so touching. I, it brings me so much joy because it reminds me so much of my youth. (laughs) What are you working on next? I am working on a couple different things. Um, right now I'm in uh, developmental edits for my third book, which is a YA thriller called The Girl You Know, which comes out from Bloomsbury and also has twins, coincidentally. Um, I just love twins, I guess. I'm well, also working on... Coming up too. <laughs> yeah. I'm also working on uh, my second YA rom-com, which comes out in May of 2024. It's called 10 Things I Hate About Prom. It's for if you love 90s rom-coms, it's got like Easter eggs left and right, which is so much fun to write. And I have a another way rom com that I'm working on that I can't talk about. But if you really like Legally Blonde, but you wanted Elle to end up with a girl, then you're gonna like this book. That's all I can say. 
That sounds so fun. Uh, and I have to say, 10 Things I Hate About You filmed in my hometown. Oh. <gasps> so it is one of my all-time favorite movies. So I'm oh. really excited to see your uh, your take on, on the 90s rom-com. It's a lot to live up to because I was like, this is such a good movie when I rewatched it. Like, even my partner who's not hugely into rom-coms was like, this is a really good movie. I know. He led from Stadium play. Steps. It's iconic. <laughs> oh, it's it's enormous shoes to fill. I'm even hesitant to say like, yes, 10 things I hate about you. But also like, be gentle. That's an amazing movie. I know. So. <laughs> All right. Lastly, where can people find you? You can find me on Instagram at El Gonzalez Rose or on Twitter at E Gonzalez Rose or on TikTok at El Gonzalez Rose. And that's Gonzalez spelled with two Z's. Awesome. El, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. This was amazing. Readers, definitely check out Caught in a Bad Fomance. It is out now. Of course, we encourage you to support your local indie bookstore. If you don't have a local indie bookstore, you can check out our affiliate store at bookshop.org slash shop slash Marissa Meyer. And don't forget our merchandise available on Etsy, Instagram, and TeePublic. You can find the links in our Instagram profile. If you're enjoying these conversations, please subscribe and follow us on Instagram at Marissa Meyer Author, and at Happy Writer Podcast. We will be back sometime in 2024 with more interviews and inspiration. Until then, I am wishing you a very happy holiday season. Stay inspired, keep writing, and whatever life throws you today, I hope that now you're feeling a little bit happier.